Hi, you're listening to Mastering Money, where we explore the many aspects of good financial decision-making. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This season, we're looking at that four-letter word that so many of us know all too well, debt because understanding and managing debt is easier when you know your options and have the right guidance. My guest today is Julie Kuzmik, Senior Compliance Officer, Consumer Advocacy at Equifax Canada. Julie represents the consumer perspective, both inside Equifax, as well as in discussions with clients, consumers, government, regulators, and media. She's an established authority on consumer credit, And since joining Equifax in 2016, she's been focusing on the fair treatment of Canadian consumers in compliance with applicable legislation. Julie's here today to talk to us about credit scores. What are they? Why do they matter? And how does debt affect them? To many, a credit score might just be a three-digit number that they glance at every so often. But there's so much more to your credit score than meets the eye. Julie, thanks for joining us. You know, I'm so happy to be here. I actually love talking about credit scores. Wow, that's just the person we need because trying to understand credit scores is a big leap for many of us. There is so much misinformation out there too, which doesn't help. A lot of people end up getting the wrong idea about how these things work. So I'm really excited to dive into it. That's great. And we'll do some myth busting as part of our chat. So, but just to begin, can you just tell us a little bit about Equifax? What exactly is a credit bureau? What does it do? How does it do it? Great place to start. So there are two major credit bureaus in Canada, Equifax and TransUnion. And what happens is most of the banks and credit unions, lenders, various creditors report data on all of their account holders to both of the credit bureaus, typically on a monthly basis. So it's not always on the same day. Um, Data is coming in all the time, every day of the month, almost every hour. And so what is getting reported about each of those accounts? So we're talking about credit cards like MasterCard and Visa, car loans, mortgages, cell phone accounts, and that's where credit is actually involved. So that would be like a pay after cell phone plan. If you have, for example, a pay-as-you-go cell phone, nothing wrong with that, but that's not technically credit because you're not using something before you pay for it, you're paying for it and then using it. So um, when it comes to cell phones, we're talking about when you have like a two-year plan with a provider, for example. So that information gets reported to Equifax and it lands on the credit report of the person who has that account. So each one of us who uses credit in Canada would have a credit file or credit report. This is often also called a credit history. So we use these terms interchangeably. I try to just say credit report for standardization and I always fail miserably. So I will end up probably saying credit file and history at some point. So over time, as your different credit accounts get reported to the bureaus, 
that is building your credit history or your credit report at both of the bureaus. So the type of information that is coming in about each of these accounts would be the current balance on the account. If it's a credit card or a line of credit, there would be the concept of the limit on the account. So what is the credit limit on that particular account? If it's an installment loan, which would be more like a car loan or a mortgage, there would be the information around the original amount of that loan and then what the current balance is. There's also some other information reported about your payment history on that account. So each account has a rating assigned to it, which is assigned by the lender, and it reflects how up-to-date or late that particular account is. You may have come across this before. Often people use the letter R, so they're always a letter and a number together. So you might have heard like R1, R9, some of those uh, thrown around. What that means is the letter portion talks about the type of account it is. So R stands for revolving. It could be an M for mortgage. It could be an I for installment loan. There are a few different letters. And then the number part is what conveys how up to date or how late an account is. So the best number to have is a one. That's telling the, the creditor is reporting that you are paid as agreed and up to date on that account. The numbers increase depending on how late a payment is. So two, a two would be 30 days or between 30 and 60 days late. A three would be between 60 and 90 days late and so on all the way down to a nine, which indicates that the creditor has written off the account. So that could be a situation where someone declared bankruptcy and that account was included. It could be a situation where the, the person hasn't declared bankruptcy, but the creditor has written it off because they've had so much trouble collecting on the account. Anyway, that's the overview of the type of information that gets included on credit reports. It's all data that gets reported to Equifax. So we're not going out and asking. We're not contacting your bank and saying, what's Doretta's current Visa card balance, for example? It automatically is reported on a monthly basis. And the timing of that is related to your statement timing. So you and I could both have, say, MasterCards from the same bank but maybe my statement period ends on the 19th of the month every time because of when I signed up for that card. And maybe your statement ends on the 25th and that's when your statement balance gets finalized for that statement period. So you would expect to see your credit card data getting updated around the 26th in the next day or so after the end of your statement, whereas I would expect to see it around the 20th, a little bit earlier, corresponding with my own statement period. And what is getting reported is the balance at that time. So sometimes people are surprised when they go, say, through their online banking and they pay off their Visa card, so the balance goes down to zero. And then they look at their credit report and they don't see a balance of zero and wonder, well, what's wrong? I've, I've just paid it down. And that's because this information is getting reported on a monthly basis. So it will be what the balance is the next time the cycle rolls around. So just something to be aware of that they credit reports are a snapshot in time, but that snapshot isn't always today's data, right, right up to date. 
Other types of information that get reported to credit bureaus and land on credit reports are things like items in collections. So that would be a situation where somebody is very late on a bill and typically when it goes 90 days late or worse or later than that, it can go to a collections agency. And in that case, there is a new entry on the credit report that is correlated with that item in collections. And once an item goes into collections, that will stay on somebody's credit report for six years from the time that it went into collections. So even once it gets paid off, it's not six years from the time it gets paid off, it's six years from when it initially went into collections. So that's something to be aware of. Sometimes people are a little surprised that they see a collections item that they have taken care of, that they have paid it off. And why is that still on my credit report? Um, so that's uh, what's behind that scenario. Some legal judgments can end up on credit reports as well. And those are typically related to financial matters. So if you have a judgment as part of a court case, and some of the more common examples would be unpaid taxes. So Canada Revenue Agency might have that go through the courts that you have a certain amount of unpaid taxes that would appear as a judgment on your credit report. Another common one is family support payments that haven't been made. So that information can go on the credit report as well. So we started by talking about what exactly is a credit bureau. Let's make sure I really understand this. There are two main credit bureaus in Canada. And what happens is that banks, other financial institutions, and other things like Revenue Canada, potentially court cases, all of these financial matters, all that data on you pours into the credit bureau. And what the credit bureau does is take all of that information and presumably they have all kinds of, they do some kind of magic algorithms, I don't know, hocus pocus. And all of that financial information goes into a credit report. Exactly. And then those reports then go back to financial institutions, etc., to let them assess your creditworthiness. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, you've nailed it. So just a couple of tweaks. One is that the Canada Revenue Agency doesn't actually report to Equifax directly, so it would only be if unpaid taxes went through a court case. So just a minor clarification there. And yes, that's exactly it. So to boil it down, what a credit bureau does is maintain credit-related information on consumers in Canada in the form of a credit report. And what does the credit bureau then do with that credit report? So there is a very strict list, and it's a pretty short list, of reasons that any company would be allowed to access the credit report of an individual. And the main one, the most common one that most of us would be familiar with, is when somebody is applying for a new type of credit. So it could be an application for a new credit card, it could be a car loan or mortgage application. Most banks and lenders will require that when you're applying for that new credit account, you give your consent or your permission for them to access your credit history from one of the credit bureaus. And they use that information as one of the inputs into their decision-making process 
on whether or not they will open this account for you, and in some cases also what interest rate you might get for a particular loan. And that's an important thing for us to remember, and I suspect we will circle back to that because it can affect your interest rates that you pay, and therefore not just your access to credit, but the rate at which you can access credit. Very much so. Okay, so we've talked about what a credit bureau is, and we've talked about what your credit report is. Most people have this idea of a credit score. So what is a credit score? A credit score is a three-digit number between 300 and 900, and it is a calculation based on the information that is in your credit report at the time the score is calculated. So what is the purpose of a credit score? Credit scores are intended to predict the likelihood that somebody will pay their bills on time. That's the core of the point of a credit score. You'll hear terms like, a risk measurement of someone or measuring their credit worthiness. But when you boil it down, that is the intent, is it is a predictive analytic that is intended to predict this behavior, where the behavior is repaying bills on time. So it's a score for between 300 and 900. And what's a good score? Many banks and lenders interpret scores in ranges, and I'm gonna start at the top end of the range because this is a very common situation that we come across. Many people don't know that an excellent credit score is typically about 750 or higher out of 900. And we encounter lots of people who have a great credit score, maybe 780 and they've got this long solid credit history, they've never missed a payment, and they're asking, what am I doing wrong? Where are those other 120 points? And it's important to understand the answer there is absolutely nothing. You're not doing anything wrong. The reality is that if that person applies for a new credit account with a bank, and let's say that somebody else applies for the same credit account and that person has a score of 880. So we've got two people with two credit scores that are 100 points different. The bank, in most cases, is going to interpret those two people as being the same level, which is excellent. It ticks the box. That's all the lender is concerned about on the credit score front. So it's important to note that it's rare that lenders and banks make decisions just on the credit score. There are a lot of other factors that go into those decisions. Some of the common ones would be employment status. So is this person employed and getting a regular paycheck? What is their actual income? What wealth or holdings do they have, depending on the type of credit they're applying for? So we know what a credit score is, and we know why a credit score matters because the better your credit score, the better your access to credit and the better rate you're going to get, roughly? Yeah, those are some of the aspects. But in addition to that, there are a few more what we call permissible purposes or reasons that entities, companies are allowed to access someone's credit. So the individual's consent is always required. So that's an important bottom line. But landlords are allowed to do credit checks on individuals. Again, their permission is required to do so, but that's one of the 
uses of credit scores that some people wouldn't think of right away as being something that matters, that the next time you're applying for a, a new rental unit, that might come into play. Another common one, it's becoming more common, is some employers make a credit check part of the requirement for getting the job. So for example, I had that experience when I applied at Equifax. So when I got the job offer, it was conditional on two things. One was a police background check, and that would be familiar to a lot of people. There are lots of jobs that require that. But the second was a credit check, and that's relatively common in financial services. So you might find a lot of people working at big banks and some of the other financial entities would have had a condition like that as well. So it can actually affect employment prospects too. So clearly a good credit score is a really important thing to have. That's right, and I wanna be clear. So I, I started with that highest category of credit score. Generally, a good credit score would be in the area of around 620 or higher. So I don't want people to feel like if you don't have that 750, you're not gonna get that next job. Often that range, even in the mid to higher 600s, is also considered a good score. So let's talk a little bit, first of all, about how you build a credit score. How do you get a credit score? So say somebody is just finishing school or getting their first job, or what are the things that you have to do to start building a credit score? This is a very common situation because we have lots of newcomers to Canada who are looking to establish themselves. We have lots of younger people who are just starting out and looking to create um, that their financial footprint and, and get started on that front. So one of the questions we get a lot is like, isn't this a catch-22? You need credit in order to get credit, so how do you even start? So there are a few mechanisms in place to help people who are in that situation. One of the common ones is a secured credit card. So not all institutions offer this, but there are a few choices out there. And the basic idea is that you give that credit card issuer a deposit. And so maybe it's a deposit of $500. And then that credit card will have typically a limit of $500 or maybe a little bit more. And so you're basically giving them some collateral so that if you don't make your payments, they have that deposit that they can draw that money from. It can take as little as like three to six months of just getting that positive data coming in where you're making those bill payments on time, there aren't any late payments. It can be that short, three to six months before someone starts to get a credit score calculated. There's a minimum amount of data that is required on the credit file in order to be able to calculate a score. So that's why there can be, a, it takes a few months at least to collect that data in order to calculate a score. So credit scores are really about, there are things that help you borrow money and maybe get a job or an apartment, but it's really about helping you get more debt or helping you accessing credit if you like. So let's explore a little bit the relationship between debt and your credit scores, because there's, I guess, good debt and healthy debt. And as long as you keep managing your debt and paying off your debt, that's actually how you build a good credit score. Is that right? 
to some extent, that is right. So there are a lot of people who use credit cards, for example, as a means of managing their day-to-day finances, and they pay them off at the end of the month. They're not carrying a balance from one month to the next, so they're being careful to not charge more to a credit card than they can realistically manage to pay off. So it's not always about long-term debt, for example, in order to build the positive credit history. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that credit scores were actually developed in order to create a level playing field for all of us here in Canada applying for credit. So come on a little imagination journey with me for a minute and think about somebody say 100, 150 years ago applying for credit at their local bank. So they're gonna have to go in person, they're gonna meet with the bank manager and the bank manager is gonna make a decision on whether or not to give that person a loan probably based on whether they know the person, whether they like that person's family, and other factors which really are subjective. And so that was the genesis of credit scores, was let's come up with a standard, a consistent way of managing. It's almost along the lines of a financial reputation so that you can be paying off your debt really well in one province and move to another province where you don't know anyone, the bank manager isn't gonna know you, but you still have the benefit of them being able to access your positive credit history and and seeing that you're likely a a pretty reasonable risk. So what about if you've had a debt problem? What can you do about your credit score? So first of all, I want to say that that's a common situation you're not alone if you're struggling with debt right now anybody who's listening and there are some really great resources out there to help so there are credit counselors who are not for profit who will give free credit counseling and offer some solutions there are licensed insolvency trustees there are a number of different options depending on the specifics of the financial situation so it really depends to say how long does it take to rebuild after having a difficult credit situation, there isn't a one size fits all answer to that because it depends on what the nature of the situation was. So are we talking a few missed payments? Are we talking one item in collections, three items in collections, a bankruptcy? There's a whole spectrum of different situations that can occur. So some of the common ones that people might've heard of, bankruptcy is at one end of the spectrum. And once someone declares bankruptcy, they will have trouble qualifying for credit for a period of time after that because there has been a demonstration that they unfortunately weren't able to meet the obligations that they had originally signed up for. But there's a bit of good news here. There are a lot of protections in place where negative information like that can't follow you around for the rest of your life. So we're actually regulated provincially, so it can vary a bit by province. Some provinces say that a bankruptcy has to be off the credit report within six years of being discharged. Other provinces say within seven years of being discharged. So what we do at Equifax is we take the best one, the most stringent one, which is six years, and regardless of the province you live in it's automatically removed from your credit report once that six-year period from the bankruptcy being discharged occurs so even with an item in collections 
where it will stay on the credit report for six years from the time it went into collections. As that item is getting older and older, so as it's approaching that six year mark, as long as nothing new negative is being reported, so as long as all the other accounts that are on the file are being reported as being paid on time, the impact of that one item in collections will decrease over time as it gets closer and closer to being removed from the file altogether. So what's the relationship between the debt that you're carrying and your credit score? Let's assume, for example, that you're not paying off your whole balance every month, but you're paying off more than the minimum payment. What effect does that have on your credit score? So let's talk about how scores are calculated, because that'll help us dive into that a little more. I mentioned that scores are intended to predict the likelihood that someone will pay their bills on time. So what are the ingredients there? Well, our statisticians, when they're developing a credit score algorithm or calculation, they can only use the information that is in a credit report. So that's the only data that can go in. What they do is a very detailed statistical analysis of millions of Canadian credit files. So they take, say, five to 10 million credit files from one period in time, let's say July 2021. And they're depersonalized, they're anonymized, so there's not a, a privacy concern there. And then they take the same people's credit files a year later, so July 2022 and they look at what has changed in that 12 month period. So you're going to have a good cross section of people at every end of the spectrum, people who've been using credit for a long time, people who are new to credit, people who have missed a lot of payments, people who've never missed a payment. So you've got a good collection of different credit file characteristics. And they look at, for all the people who made their payments on time, what do they have in common? For all the people who declared bankruptcy, what do they have in common? What do we see that look like they're maybe leading indicators of the likelihood that somebody might start missing payments? When we look at people who had a good solid credit history in the first sample, but then that person has started missing payments in that 12 month period, what can we tell from that data? And the answers to those questions become the factors that go into the credit score calculation. So it turns out that the most predictive piece of information that is in somebody's credit report is their payment history. Somebody who has made all their payments on time is more likely to continue making payments on time. Of course, I'm oversimplifying here for the sake of clarity, but the basic idea is that there are factors identified which are correlated with certain repayment behaviors. So when we look at missing payments, so people who have started or continued to miss payments, what can we see about them in the earlier sample that might help us make a correlation there? And one of the things that you see is late payments to begin with. Having items in collections are correlated with missing payments. Um, people with judgments on their credit report, so uh, financially related court judgments. So the impact of having debt 
on the credit score is really related to the repayment habits. That really is the number one factor. Then there start to be some other factors that are taken into consideration in the scores. So another one would be what we call utilization. That's the difference between the balance that was reported, typically on a revolving account. So we're talking about a credit card or a line of credit here. The balance that was reported to Equifax versus the credit limit on the account. So as an example, if you have a credit card that has a credit limit of $4,000 and the balance that got reported to Equifax the last time that account reported was $2,000, then you're, you're at a 50% utilization. You're using half of your available credit. There is a correlation between higher balances, so higher utilization, the balance relative to the limit. There's a correlation between that and missing payments. And so typically a lower utilization, so being able to keep balances lower relative to the limit on those types of accounts can be helpful when it comes to credit score calculations. Okay, so to be clear, it is perfectly possible to have debt, but to have it in a way that you can still have a good credit score. Absolutely. And the ways to do that then would be to make sure that you make your payments, to manage what you spend relative to your spending limits. Those are the kinds of things that would keep you in a good position. Yes. And another one that's important to keep in mind is to try not to apply for too much credit at one time. And I don't mean in terms of the balance, I mean in terms of the number of accounts. So. Here's a fun fact about credit reports. We are required by law to keep a log on the credit report of every time that credit report has been accessed, regardless of who accessed it. So there's a log entry which says bank of such and such pulled this credit file on April the 12th, 2022, for example. The reason that information has to be on the file is because all of us as consumers have the right to know who has looked at our credit data. And there are two categories of these access entries. And the term we use in the industry is inquiries. So each one of these entries in the log would be called an inquiry against the credit file. There's two categories of inquiries, hard inquiries and soft inquiries. The difference is the reason the credit file was accessed. So if the reason was that the person was applying for credit, so that example where you walk into your bank branch, they've got a cool new Visa card that you want, so you, you make your application, they ask for your consent to check your credit history, you give the consent, they pull your file. There's now going to be a new hard inquiry on your file that indicates that that credit card issuer pulled your file on that day. The other category of inquiries is called soft inquiries. And those are where the reason for pulling the credit file wasn't related to a credit application. So that's where the landlord is pulling the credit file, for example, or the potential employer. Or the big one is the person themselves checking their own credit report which is something we should all be doing. You can access credit reports for free online. 
it's such an important step to make sure everything looks accurate. We can come back to that, but that will be recorded on the report as well. Just saying that you yourself checked your own credit report. That's a soft inquiry. Now, the reason I'm making this distinction is that hard inquiries can have an impact on credit score calculations. They won't always, but they can. And let me explain that a little bit more. What a hard inquiry represents is an application for new credit, as I just outlined. And there is a statistical correlation between people applying for a lot of credit in a short period of time and then starting to miss bill payments. So that's why that factors into the score calculation. So the very common question we get is, well, oh gosh, well, how many points am I gonna lose every time I apply for a new credit card? It's such a simple, easy question. Unfortunately, the answer is not because the reason it may affect some people and may not affect others is related to these predictions of credit behavior based on information in the credit report. And I know this is hard to follow, but please bear with me for a minute. Somebody who has missed a number of payments, maybe has an item in collections on their file, there is a stronger statistical correlation between that person applying for say three or four or five new credit accounts in a 12 month period and that person starting to miss payments. So that person applying for a new card might see their score go down as a result of this new hard inquiry. But if you compare that to somebody who has a solid long credit history, who's never missed a payment, that person could apply for the same number of new credit accounts and have that same number of new hard inquiries on their credit report and not see a difference because of that difference in risk correlation. So there are all kinds of factors that come into these very complex algorithms that affect your score. But I guess the most important thing to keep in mind is that financial institutions, et cetera, are really looking at scores in ranges and not at particular numbers? Yes. Also to keep in mind that many of the financial institutions are using more than just a score to make a decision. One of the common misconceptions is if you have a great score, you'll get approved for anything you apply for. And that's not necessarily the case because of the other factors like income and employment status that can really play a role in those lending decisions. What happens then if there's a mistake? I mean, you did mention that it's a good idea for people to check their credit scores regularly. How often do you um, recommend people check their credit scores? So I'm glad you phrased it that way because we're all so eager to say credit score when in fact it's the credit file that you should be checking or the credit report. And this is probably a good point to mention because I haven't been confusing enough with all of this information yet. I'm afraid it gets a little more confusing. There are multiple credit score versions out there. So we all often think of ourselves as just having one credit score, one number, but there are actually different versions. Different banks use different credit score versions. So the version that you see when you're looking at your bank website, for example, or through one of the free sites that will give credit scores, 
that's not necessarily the same version that a bank is using. That might not be the same one that that particular lender is using. And people fixate so much on the score, on that number, but it's gone down by two points. Oh, it's gone up by three points. Great, I'm coming out ahead. The important thing to focus on is the credit report because all the scores are based on that data that is in the credit report. And that's where you want to make sure that that data is accurate. So when you're asking about how often should somebody be checking their own credit report, I would say a minimum of once a year is important. And you want to make sure that you're checking at both of the credit bureaus. So both Equifax and TransUnion, you want to look at your credit reports at both. It's rare, but there are sometimes mistakes that happen and that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. So a few examples would be sometimes if someone has a similar name and address or address and birth date or similar combination of characteristics, you might end up with some of their data landing on your credit report. So that's something that you want to get cleaned up as soon as you find that sort of thing. Another possibility, and this one is a little more scary, is that you could find an account on your credit report that you don't recognize, and that might be because somebody has impersonated you and applied for credit in your name. And this is one of the first ways of noticing, finding out that that has happened and being able to do something about it before you're trying to finalize that mortgage or you're applying for that car loan. That is not the time that you want to find out wait a minute, somebody took a credit card out in my name and didn't pay it and now this account is in collections in my name, that's a stress that you don't need when you're trying to finalize a major financial purchase. So how do you check your credit report? You can get access to your credit report for free in a number of ways. So at Equifax, you can go to the website at equifax.ca. You have to be authenticated. You have to be able to provide enough proof that you are who you say you are because we need to make sure that it's not somebody impersonating you trying to get access to your credit. So if you do it online, you'll have to answer some questions related to information that is already on your credit report. You can call our call center. They can help process that. They will also authenticate you using information on your credit report. You can also mail in a request if you prefer, and you can have a report sent to you in the mail, a, a paper copy. And there are some requirements there that you can find on the website as well about providing proof of your ID. And I do want to say that links to all this information will be provided on the webpage that goes with the podcast. So you can find it uh, for all our listeners. You'll be able to find that information there. Okay, so, and you're saying we should check it at least once a year and with both of the credit bureaus because there can be a difference between them? There is always the possibility of a difference. So lenders are not actually required to report to credit bureaus in a lot of cases. So you'll find the major banks and credit unions, those familiar names, you're going to find those accounts at both Equifax and TransUnion. But some of the newer players, um, some of the newer alternative lenders, for example, they may report data to only one 
of the credit bureaus, or they might not report to either credit bureau. So there are some possibilities where you could actually see some difference in accounts between your credit files at the two different bureaus. Okay. Um, so one of the things you hear, for example, is that people who have poor credit scores and want to improve it, there are a number of scams and operators out there who can really make promises to people to, to improve their credit scores and are actually not going to be able to do what they're saying they're doing or are charging ridiculous amounts of money or whatever. What kind of scams should people be aware of and how can they avoid them? I am so glad that you raised this. This is one of the things that absolutely makes my blood boil that people get taken advantage of in this way. The reality is that if information on your credit report is accurate, then there is no quick fix to getting it removed. A lot of these, uh, we often call them credit repair clinics, a lot of these entities will make claims like, we can get items and collections taken off your credit report. Just give us $300 and then we'll contact the bureau and, and get them to remove it. We have special tricks. The reality is that the only person who we will talk to about your credit report is you. Unless you have given a legal power of attorney to another individual to take care of that on your behalf. So when a credit clinic says, will contact the bureau and get this this negative information removed on your behalf it's a bold lie they cannot possibly do that if there is information on your credit report that is incorrect so that example of an item in collections that isn't actually yours and landed on your credit report by mistake it is free for you to contact the bureau provide the evidence and they will do an investigation for free, get back to you with the results and remove it if it should not be on your credit report. So none of this stuff costs money. But unfortunately, a lot of these credit repair clinics have very targeted social media presence and advertising where the people that they are targeting are the only people who are seeing their ads. So a lot of people who wouldn't be in a desperate situation might not even see these ads for credit repair clinics. And sometimes we see these very just heartbreaking situations where somebody has done the right thing, they are, they're getting concerned about their ability to meet their financial obligations. They go and talk to a not-for-profit credit counselor who goes through their credit file with them, goes through their all of their obligations, what's your current income, they take a look at your personal situation and explain that it's gonna take a while for your score to go up because you've got these negative things on the file, but they will it will improve as long as you don't continue having new negative pieces of information getting reported. But that's not the message people want to hear. They want to hear some kind of overnight quick fix. And so sometimes that person is then susceptible to this advertising, which says for only $300 every year for the next five years will help you manage your credit. And sometimes those people end up back at the credit counselor after having had that heartbreaking experience. And now they're out that extra money that they couldn't afford in the first place and not seen any 
positive benefit from. So it's it's so important for people to understand there are lots of resources to figure out which credit counseling agencies are not for profit and which ones are accredited and the ones that you should be talking to as well as licensed insolvency trustees as another option. They're federally licensed, so they're in a good position to be able to offer the right advice for your particular situation. Right, and we'll include links to Credit Counseling Canada, for example, that is the network of credit counts of the not-for-profit credit counselors, etc., in links to the podcast. People take credit scores pretty seriously. I think that like many things connected to money, they get a sense of judgment attached to them. Does a credit score reflect anything about a person's sort of personal well-being or ethics? Absolutely not. It is so important to know that a credit score is not a moral judgment. It is not a character judgment. Good people can have bad things happen to them. Lots of really solid individuals have declared bankruptcy and climbed out of bankruptcy and established a great solid credit history. It's absolutely possible. So anyone who's listening to this and feeling uncomfortable because you think there might be something you don't want to face on that credit report, you're not alone. It's okay to have some issues that need to be dealt with. There are so many resources out there to help. So let's do a bit of a lightning round. Fast questions, fast answers, okay? Sounds like a plan. Okay, how can you find your credit report? You can go to equifax.ca and you can find your credit report and an Equifax credit score for free online. What's a good credit score? Probably around 620 or so or higher. What's a bad credit score? Something around the 500s would typically indicate that somebody's had some serious financial trouble. How often should you check your credit report? Minimum once a year, but if you go to equifax.ca, you can set up an account where it'll be refreshed on a monthly basis, so you can always check. And how often does it get updated? Could be every day. So there's new data coming in all the time, so each one of your accounts is typically updated once a month, but not all at the same time. So you might find that your MasterCard gets updated typically on the 7th of the month and your mortgage gets reported on the 21st, that sort of thing. So you can see a number of updates throughout the month. So if you're worried about your credit score or you see something on your credit report that you feel is not correct, what should you do? Go to equifax.ca. There is a section called how to submit a dispute. And dispute is the blanket term for anything that looks wrong on your credit report. So even if it's just that you want to update your address because you've moved, it might feel like, well, I'm not disputing the old address. That was my old address. I just need to update it. So just to not be confused about that terminology. Julie, thanks so much for joining me today. I think we've really laid everything on the table when it comes to credit scores and why they matter. And I'm sure many listeners will have a new level of vigilance for their own credit scores. You've been listening to Mastering Money from Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. You can click to all the resources mentioned in this episode in the description for the podcast in your podcast app. Please rate and review us. And if you'd like to get in touch, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. This season is proudly brought to you by BDO Debt Solutions, helping you turn the page on debt. Please note, 
The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and not necessarily the views of CPA Canada. This is a recorded podcast. The information presented is current as of the date of recording. New and changing government legislation and programs may have come into effect since the recording date. Please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information. Be well, be kind, and remember, managing debt is within your power when you're informed, prepared, and vigilant.